Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Good evening. Good evening. I'm so glad you decided to come to church tonight. Those that are watching online, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think tonight's going to help you a lot. I think if you ever made a good decision, you made one by coming out tonight. So I hope you got a pen and paper with you. I'm going to jump right into this because I got a whole bunch. I was looking at at what I wanted to share with you tonight, and there's so much stuff. Uh, I, I did this at our church over in Detroit. For those of you that weren't here this morning, we pastor uh, a church now in the Detroit area in, in Troy, Michigan. And, uh, and so I did this in five weeks. I did a five-week series, no, six weeks. And so I'm going to give what I did in six weeks to you in the next, I think they told me I have about an hour and 20 minutes. They didn't tell me that. Don't worry. I'm going to give you the real condensed version in the next 30, 40 minutes or so. And so if, if, how many have ever, how many have ever needed help making a decision? Anybody had trouble making a decision? I wrote a book on decision making and uh, for months we could not decide what to name it. It's great, huh? So we came up with, I can't decide. How about that for a book on decision-making? I can't decide. But I found some biblical principles that will help us in making decisions because we make thousands of decisions every single day. And so I think this is going to help you. So uh, get your pen, paper ready. Let's jump into this. I heard about a man who'd worked his whole life, saved up a whole lot of money, and he loved his money more than anything, more than anything. And so before he died, he made his wife promise that, um, that, when, that she'd take all the money he'd made and place it in the casket with him because he wanted to take it with him. Now we know you can't do that, but that day came and, and he died. His wife was sitting there all dressed in black next to the casket and her best friend was sitting there next to her. And when the ceremony was over, uh, she went up to the casket with a, a box and she set the box down inside and they rolled the casket away. Her friend said, I can't believe this. I hope you were not crazy enough to do what this man asked. I hope that box wasn't full of all the money. And uh, the lady said, look, um, I'm a good Christian. You know, I can't lie. I'm, I, I promised. And so I had to do what I, I said that I would do. She said, you mean to tell me you took every cent of his money and you put it in that casket? And the wife said, yeah, that's what I did. I got it all together over the last week or so. And I put it in the bank and then I wrote him a check. put it in the casket. Okay, let's get into this. Let's get into this. All decisions, not all decisions. Uh, now, some of you, I heard a couple people when I came and said, I heard you're funny. So there you go. There it is. I, I don't know if anything else funny will come out, but I just wanted to give you that so I can get into this teaching because I think it's going to help you. Now, I promise you, if you need it, if you're trying to make a decision right now, whether you're online with us or whether you're here in the room, this won't be the last decision that you ever make. Every day, every day we make, must be something wrong with me, because this thing was messing up this morning. Is it, is it on right now or not on right now? Can y'all hear me? It's on. Okay. Every, every one of us will make decisions, literally hundreds of decisions every single day. I mean, when the alarm clock went off, you had a, or I call it the opportunity clock. Right? You have a decision right there. What are you going to call it? You have a decision when you wake up in the morning, good Lord morning or 
Good Lord, or morning, good morning, Lord. You have a decision, right, every single day. And so I want to help you. Now, I'm not going to promise you that when, when I get done with what I'm going to teach you, because I'm going to teach you a process, a biblical sound process for decision making. And I'm going to give it to you in order. So you, this, this is a process that you'll follow in order. You can't do number six before you do number one through five. You can't do number two until you do number one. There's a, a sound process for decision making. It's all in the Bible. And I can't promise you, if you learn this, that you will make 100% right decisions. I wish I could promise you that. But what if, I mean, you got a 50-50 chance, right? of any decision, whether it'll be good or bad. What if we could at least raise it to like a, a 65, 35 chance? I mean, what if you could get up to like an 80, 20 chance? How many would be happier if you could just get your percentage of right decisions up to like 80? Wouldn't that be good? So I can't promise you that 100% of your decisions will be right, but I can promise you that, that um, if you follow these principles, it'll, it'll, get, it'll get better. Now, people think the first thing you do want to get counsel, and that's definitely not the first thing you do is get counsel. The first thing you want to do when you're making a decision is listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. Re remember, like th this is in order. This process is in order. Uh, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, so I want you to write these scriptures down uh, because you'll want to go back and you'll want to look them up, all right? We don't have time to dig into all of them and open the Bible to all of them, so just write them down so you can go back. First, Chronicles. And how many, how many will, if I talk fast, you'll listen fast? All right? So, uh, Paul died. So, I mean, I'm sorry, Saul died. Not Paul, Saul. Paul wasn't around in Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's commands and he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. So we see Saul was the first king of Israel and God soon replaced him with David. Saul was proven to be an unworthy king. And so David was, uh, so God was compelled to set David on the throne instead of Saul. So why did he, why did he do this? I found through studying these scriptures, one real glaring difference between these two kings, Saul and David. How many have heard of both Saul and David? Right, David, I love David. He's one of my favorite people in the Bible. I, I love to study anything with David. Uh, I love to study successful people. A lot of you know, I, about 50% of what I do is in the corporate arena and teaching success principles. And I find them all in the Bible. But David, I love David. Killed Goliath. Remember that whole story? Killed Goliath, cut his head off. I love that. David was the first person I found to really get ahead in life. They're going to get better, I promise. I, I'm going to try anyway. So here you got these two, these two kings. What is the glaring difference between them? Saul failed to seek the mind and heart of God on the important matters of the kingdom, while David made it a consistent habit to listen to his heart and consult the Lord. And it says that he was a man after God's heart. He's a man after God's heart. So like, like many people these days, Saul only prayed in order to persuade God to approve what he had already determined to do. That's what a lot of us do. Our prayers are just trying to persuade God uh, for what we've already decided we're going to do. But then there's people that listened. How many times, how often is, is our prayer in an effort to persuade instead of asking God, what is your 
will. What is your will? And so I, I want us to get surrender our will to God's will. Um, it must be me, huh? Some kind of issue. It's these powerful frequencies that flow from me. So I draw this distinction between these two kings of Israel because Saul and David, David embodied the two most common types of decision makers. Uh, and I don't know if you know what kind of decision maker you are, but we're going to find out. Saul was driven by selfishness and public opinion. David was driven by a deep thirst to know the perfect will of God. How many want to know the perfect will of God when you're making a decision? You start by listening to your heart. The most important point here is that David had to make an effort to hear and discover the will of God. Even as a man after God's own heart, he was required to invest some time and some energy in the pursuit of God's wisdom. The first thing you got to do is you've got to learn to listen to your heart before you listen to anybody else. Now, counsel is important. Counsel is important, but it comes later in the process. First thing you gotta know is what God is saying to you. What is God saying to you? And there's a fine line between the voice of God in your heart and the counterfeit voice that would disguise itself as God. Now, in order to hear God's voice, and to know the difference between God's voice and your own voice or that voice in your head, you first have to surrender your heart to God. So the first thing you want to ask God, Lord, let, let your will be my will, right? Let your will be my will. Just say that with me. Say, let your will be my will. Let my will be your will. That's how I should have said it, right? I think so. You distinguish between the real voice of God and the fabricated voice of God by objectively uh, testing, trying, and proving what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. So when you're trying to make a decision, first thing I want to do, God, I want to spend some time meditating on him. God, speak to my heart. I want to know what is your will in this house I'm trying to buy, in this job I'm trying to take, uh, in, in a decision, in a relationship, whatever it may be, I want to know what is God's will, God's perfect will for my life. How many like to drive the perfect will of God for your, for you? Right. I want to drive this, this, not this car, this car friend of ours married was married to a guy named Will. And uh, she used to always say that God, uh, this is the perfect will of God for me. <laughs> Number one, listen to your heart. Number two, prove all things, prove all things. So once you've listened to your heart, once you feel like this is what God is saying, I promise you the Lord is never offended and he's never hurt when we test what we believe God is saying to us. Now, the apostle Paul declared that Christians should prove all things while also writing to Christians regarding the gift of prophecy. I love what John said. First John chapter four, verse one, first John four, verse one, he said, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. And then God went on, and I love this. And out of, God went out of his way to compliment the people of Berea. And he said this, Acts 17, verse 11. He said, and, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. 
And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And then they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. God said, look, these people are smart. They don't just hear the message, but they go back and they look in the scripture themselves and they prove that what they were hearing, what God was speaking to their heart was what the word of God said. If you are a Christian and you sincerely desire to know God's perfect will for your life, then the Bible is designed to be a lamp to your feet, right? And a light to your path. So if you can go back and find it in the word of God, if you truly want to know what the Lord is saying uh, about the important matters of life, you're going to have to learn to read your Bible every day. That's every day. Now, growing up, I grew up in church and we learned to read our Bible every day. Now, we don't hear about that as much nowadays, but it's really important to read your Bible every day because the will of God for your life, I don't have to pray, Lord, if it be your will, because if I can find it in his word, I know it's his will, right? I know it's God's will to heal me. He said, by his stripes, I was healed. I already am healed. I know it's his will for my family to be saved. He said, believe for my whole household to be saved. So if I can find it in the word, I already know it's his, his will. And so there's so much in the word of God. It's so important that you get into it every day. It's like, um, it's like reading a map. You wouldn't read the map when you get home from the trip, right? You want to read the map before the trip. The Bible is your roadmap. Uh, a friend of mine, I love airplanes. I'm on airplanes all the time. And, and a friend of mine's a pilot. And so I get to, when he flies me somewhere, I get to sit up front with him. And I, I love to look at all the instruments. And, and I learned how you can be visually flight rated or you can be instrument flight rated. And the difference is if you're only visually rated, you can only fly the plane when you're able to see, right? When you're able to, you can't go too high because you got to be able to see the ground. If it's cloudy or the weather's bad, they won't let you fly if you're only visually flight rated uh, because you don't know how to trust the instruments. But when you become instrument rated, you can fly the plane no matter what the weather looks like because you learn to trust the instruments, how many have ever been on an airplane, it's landing and it's getting closer to the ground and you know it's got to be getting closer to the ground and you look out the window and all you see is just clouds. Anybody ever been on a plane like that? Let me see if, you're, if you know what I'm talking about. And you're like, I hope this guy knows what he's doing. Because we're pretty close. We've got to be pretty close to the ground, but I can't see a thing. Well, what that guy is, he's instrument rated. And so he just learns to trust all those instruments. Because sometimes you may be upside down, right side. You don't know which way you're going. But if you learn to trust the instruments, they'll always take you to the right place. And in life as Christians, sometimes uh, uh, my grandfather used to always say, there's two places a Christian is, either going into a storm or coming out of a storm. We're going to be in storms. How many of you have ever been on an airplane that hit turbulence? Yeah. What'd you do when the airplane hit turbulence? Prayed, took a video. Yeah. Held on. Did anybody get off the plane? Like I'm out. I can't handle uh, this. No, you can't get out the plane. You hold on, you buckle up, you pray. Let me ask you this. How many have ever been on an airplane that hit turbulence and you're still here? Look at that. We made it. We made it, and it's the same thing in life. You're gonna hit some turbulence in life. John 16, 33 promised us, in the world you will have trials, tribulation, distress, frustration. <laughs> awesome. Just wanted to encourage you a little bit. It's, 
you were going to go through things in life. I think I told you before, I was, one time I was sitting on the flight next to a lady. She'd never flown before, and she was nervous. She's like, I've never flown before. I'm like, don't worry. I'm on the plane. So we talked for a few minutes. plane took off, and I fell asleep. I sleep pretty quickly on a plane. And so about 20 minutes in, we hit some turbulence. The plane started getting a little shaky. She, started, she goes, hey, hey, wake up. I'm like, huh? She's like, do something. It's like, what do you want me to do? She goes, I don't know. Aren't you like a, aren't you like a preacher? I'm like a preacher. I'm not like a pilot. She goes, I don't know. She goes, just do something religious. <laughs> so I got up and took an offering. In the world, you'll have some trials. But here's the thing. What, what I'm saying here is the word of God is our instrument. And when you are spending time reading the word of God, you know, and you trust the word of God, no matter what the storm looks like, you can lean on God's word. There's no better place to begin testing your decision than to submit it to the word of God. And far too many Christians spend too much time reading books about the Bible and far too little time reading the Bible itself. And, and I think you should read books. I think there's some great books out there. A lot of mine are on Amazon. But when you read, what does the word say? I found that the most uh, spiritual wisdom is derived by a steady daily diet, bite-sized pieces of God's word. Even the Bible itself teaches us that we should learn spiritual things. Isaiah 28 verse 10, I love this scripture. Isaiah 28 verse 10, he tells us, everything over and over, one line at a time, one line at a time, a little here and a little there. So over time, with repetition, as we marinate our minds in the thinking of God, we begin to gather insight into God's way of thinking. How many like to know God's way of thinking? If we could start thinking like God thinks and God's way of behaving under certain circumstances, we begin to grow spiritually and we begin to develop the mind of God and we begin to see more and more through the eyes of God. It, I'm telling you, when you do that, it makes your decision making so much stronger and, and so much better because we begin to see less through our eyes and more through God's eyes. That's what all part of renewing our mind. It's, 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 it's not always easy to determine what Jesus might do in a particular situation. You know, even if you have your WWJD bracelet on, it's still hard sometimes. What would Jesus do? And sometimes the Bible is very clear and explicit about a given decision that you might be facing. Like if you decide that um, you want your neighbor's garden hose, he just got a new one and you decide you like it. And so you think I'm going to go over there and take it. Well, the Bible is pretty clear um, about this subject. So you won't need to uh, subject your decision to any further test. It says thou shalt not steal. So that's pretty, that's pretty easy. But, but then the, the Bible cannot really directly help you on a lot of other type of decisions, like whether you should take the new job in San Francisco, the Bible's not going to help you. Whether you should start a business or franchise the one you've got, the Bible cannot directly help you determine uh, whether you should give uh, $5,000 to heart for the kingdom or whether you should give $1,000. The, the, the Bible can't tell you that. I'll tell you, you you should probably give 5,000, but you've got to trust. So, so, so through 
approximately 44 human authors writing over a period of 1500 years, God gave us the Bible, right? It's a, a mixture of narratives, legal mandates, some poems, uh, some, some sermons, some parables, some eyewitness accounts, all this stuff just for us. And so when we talk about decision making, we really are talking about wisdom. And the Bible says, Proverbs 4 verse 5, whatever you do, get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. So. We want to develop good judgment. How do you do that? You do that through the word, through getting wisdom, because wisdom is not something that is inherited. You can't inherit wisdom. So just because I'm smart does not mean my son will be smart, right? Or maybe if my dad was smart and it means I'm not smart. I don't know what it, but, but you understand, it's not something that you inherit. It's something that you have to go and purposely, wisdom is something you must purposefully um, get. You have to go and get wisdom. So if you want to get, if you want to make good decisions in your life, you have to grow in wisdom. You grow in wisdom by spending time in God's word. So making a decision. Number one, you want to listen to your heart. Number two, you prove all things by what the word of God says. Number three, third thing, count the cost. Count the cost. In, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching his disciples, uh, his followers about discipleship. And Jesus taught his disciples that there, there would always be a price to pay for any worthwhile endeavor that you undertake. Um, particularly the endeavor to follow or to serve him. So the Lord was, was further teaching his disciples that they should count the cost of their decision before they actually execute the decision. So uh, let's look at this scripture. Um, Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. He's like, look, um, don't begin until you count the cost. A lot of times we just jump into stuff, haven't really thought about what it's going to cost, not just financially, but what's going to cost your family? What's it going to cost your health? What's it going to cost the decision that you're about to make? You got to count the cost. It says for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. I've got a friend who's building a building down in Orlando, started the building, didn't have enough money to finish it. And years and years, it's sitting there now, un, unfinished. People said, maybe you should have read this scripture. You might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone will laugh at you. They'd say that person who started the building couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can, he'll send a delegation to, dis to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. That's some good wisdom, right? You got 10,000, they got 20,000. Hey, um, let's see if we can get out of this. Let's go send out some peace. Let's count, let's count the cost. If you have a major decision to make in your life, I recommend that you begin counting the cost, counting, cost counting process by gathering all the available facts regarding various opinions, various thoughts. A decision is kind of like an intersection. Now, we know most people don't know how to make decisions. If you've ever been to a four-way stop, 
You ever been to a four-way stop? You go. No, you go. No, no, go ahead. Go, you can go. No one knows how to make a decision. Somebody needs to go, right? Someone needs to get moving. And so this is like being at a, at a major intersection where two highways, you can go two different ways. At any intersection, there are choices to make between the various uh, uh, courses of travel. The, the traveler can continue along the same course he's taken, or he can turn right, or he can turn left. And it, it's difficult to make a choice at an intersection unless you know where each path is going to take you. So you got to count the cost. If I go right, okay, if I go right, that's going to cost me because I know that there is a Tim Hortons down there and they get me every time. I, I can't, I, I'm gonna, that's going to cost me some weight. Because I'm going to get some donuts if I go that way. Or if I go left, there's no gas station and I need gas. So I need to, I mean, you, those are simple examples. But you see how you, whichever direction you go, you got to think it through before you turn. You got to count the cost of going this way. Or, or someone would say the pros, the pros and cons of a situation, right? Nobody can make an intelligent decision about the future without as many facts as possible. So you want to get all the, all the facts you can. I cannot make good decisions on bad information. How many of you have ever made a bad decision because someone gave you wrong information, right? You had wrong information, so you made the wrong decision. The, the future is uncertain enough. So why not remove as much of the uncertainty as possible by counting the cost, counting the cost. Jesus was, was reiterating the, this wisdom using the analogy of, of construction and of war. And he taught his followers that it's better to sit down, count the cost of a major decision uh, than it is to just rush headlong into it by faith. Some people just jump, well, I'm just going by faith into these unwise decisions. There's a time to use your faith and there's a, a time to count the cost and make wise decisions. What is God saying? Throughout the Bible, faith is never equated with haste. So just by being, faith doesn't mean you just go after it, just go fast. I mean, some people just full of faith. I just do it. I got a friend like that. Man, he's so full of faith. You want someone to pray for you? He's the one. I mean, he's ready all the time. I'm just, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for anybody. Come on, bring me. This guy's like, could you pray for me? He said, I, I, I sure will. What do you need? He said, I need prayer. I need prayer. He said, for what? He said, for my hearing. He said, all right. And he grabbed his ears and he prayed this powerful prayer of, of, of healing. And he said, okay. He said, how's your hearing now? The guy said, actually, my, my hearing's not until next Thursday. <laughs> he is full of faith, but it had a little bit of haste with it, right? So faith is never associated with ignorance. In God's word, wisdom is encouraged always in the decision-making process. And the man who faces the future with the facts is the man who will less frequently be stung by the uncertainties of the future and more likely will accept the consequences of his choices. So you got to count the cost. For the person who's prepared for the reality of his choices, um, for the person who's prepared, uh, plans will be in place to get him through the inevitable storms that he may face. So you got to count the cost. Say count the cost. Are y'all with me? What was number one? What was number one? All right, just making sure you're listening to my voice. What was number two? 
Prove all things. Okay, and number three was? All right, what's number four? I don't know, yeah, okay. I, I love this, um, this poem, uh, this line from a poem I read the other day. It said, I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to the earth, I know not where. I started thinking about this. Here's a poor guy. He can't find his arrow. He shot an arrow into the air and it fell to the earth. He doesn't know where. And I'm not surprised he doesn't know where because he wasn't aiming at anything. He just shot an arrow up into the air. He picked up his bow and aimlessly just shot an arrow. So he had no idea where to even begin searching. If he had been shooting it at a target, at least he would have known a direction, right? to go toward, but he just shot this arrow in, into the air. And like so many people, this guy had no specific target in mind. And I'm amazed at how many people go through life with no specific target in mind. Just whatever happens today happens today. Whatever happens tomorrow, we'll just see if we can get through that day. And when a person aims at nothing, guess what they're going to hit? They're going to hit nothing and they're going to accomplish nothing and, and they're going to lose their arrow like this guy. So I, I want to solidify this, this working arrangement now that we have between our heart, listening to our heart, and then our mind, because there's the heart and there's the mind both in this process. And, uh, and I want to reiterate and, and, and define the decision-making process begins in the heart, right? We said that first thing. You listen uh, to the heart. Then the process moves to the mind where decision-making becomes deliberate and methodical rather than emotional or spiritual, we're counting the cost. We're proving all things. And so the brain has to develop a roadmap and, and the brain has to lay out a strategy that will give substance to the heart's idea. And then, um, then you got to do the back-breaking labor to bring that decision to life. So number four is plot your course. Number four is plot your course. Here's what it says in Proverbs so much wisdom on this in, in, in all throughout Proverbs 21 verse five, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So the fourth step in the decision-making process is to develop a detailed and realistic plan for converting your uh, decision into a, into reality. So as, as a general rule, the best place to begin the process is by sitting down and listing out the things you have to do to get you from point A to point B. It's called making a plan. Now, the Bible talks a lot about planning. All throughout the Bible, there's talks about planning. They pl there's plans for battle, plans for building the temple, plans for offerings. I mean, over and over, the Bible talks about plans. So obviously, there, there, there must be something important about planning. And all of us do these kind of things every day, whether you're running a house or managing a factory, whether you're going to college or whether you're writing a book, we, we go at the task in a somewhat systematic method that we plan either on paper or sometimes subconsciously in the regions of, of our mind. We create a plan and then we have to implement the plan, right? So we create the plan, then we implement the plan. Uh, was that old saying that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, 
right? So you know where you're going now. It's just a step, just taking a, a step. In any endeavor that you want to do or accomplish is going to begin with a single step. King Solomon, Proverbs 16, verse 9, said, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So the scripture is really clear that God expects you to lay out a plan, right? We can make our, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So God gets involved now in helping us to achieve uh, what it is that we're, that we're going for all throughout the Bible. Uh, God worked hundreds of miracles for his servants and his, and his people. And one common thread I saw, I wrote a book called Miracles. And, and, and one common thread I saw through all these miracles was God did the miraculous part of the miracle and the people did the difficult part. You still got a part in your miracle, right? But here's the thing, you don't have to do the impossible. You just have to do the difficult. You just have to do your part. God will do the rest. And so whether it's turning water into wine or feeding thousands of, uh, of people with five loaves and some bread or whether it's parting the Red Sea, God delights in performing miracles for people, but God only performs miracle in direct proportion to the person's willingness to, to execute the plan for achieving that God-given purpose that he's given to them. So once you've clearly discovered your heart, and you've waited against uh, what the word of God says, and you've gathered the facts, as much facts as you can to count the cost, and you've developed a plan for implementing your decision, now the time has arrived for number five, and number five is to seek counsel to seek counsel. Remember, I told you that was in there, but it's not right at the beginning. It's a little bit further, further down. Now, look, all I took a week on each one of these, so I'm giving it all to you really, really fast. Um, are y'all getting anything out of this? Does this make any sense to you? How many have got some decisions you're trying to make right now in some area? Let me see here. Have you got some decisions that you need to make? So hopefully this is gonna, this is gonna help you. Now, if you say, I don't have any decisions to make right now, you probably will tomorrow. So make sure that you're getting a hold of this because you'll go back and, and go through this process. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 22. Now, I love this part about seeking counsel. It says, refuse good advice and watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. It's very clear that the Bible encourages us to seek counsel. In fact, he commands us to seek counsel in the important matters of life. God's wisdom for setting things up this way is, is actually pretty amazing because the decision maker, you trying to make the decision, you there online that are trying to make the decision, you don't seek counsel so that the counselor can help you develop a plan. You already have a plan. The, the decision maker makes his decision he develops his plan and then he presents the plan to as many counselors as he can uh, for uh, objective and constructive analysis. And if you don't get counsel, Solomon says, then your plans could fail. So you've got a plan. And now, okay, I want to get some counsel. I, I was mentioning something to pastor earlier. Uh, this morning, and he was he was uh, sharing some thoughts with me, and I'm like, "Oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. Oh, that 
Okay, that's that's a different way of looking at that. Uh, it helped me an, analyze something a little bit different. In Proverbs 20, Solomon again demonstrates that genuine counsel cannot occur until after a plan is developed. Proverbs 20, verse 18. Plans succeed through good counsel. You see how there's an order to the process. We jump, we jump to the counsel, the advice. We jump to that way early. And when you have a decision to make, how many know advice is plentiful? How many know people are willing to give you advice? I mean, people, you don't even ask for advice. Hey, I got it. I'll tell you what you should do. A couple of, um, I, I, was, I was talking about um, humility the other day. And I, and I was talking about humility is, is a necessary ingredient in the decision-making process. Because if you're not, a, if you don't have a humility, it's going to be hard to hear someone else's opinion because you think you know it all. You think you got it all, all together. And a person will avoid submitting their plan to counsel, but without humility, uh, a person will, will not let other people scrutinize their wisdom. But Proverbs 11 verse 14, without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. So many people out there trying to figure it out all on their own. And a lot of times we pretend like we know it all. And when we make a mistake, only when we make a mistake, do we admit that we don't know it all. Then we want to get counsel. But the Holy Spirit is, is saying, hey, look, you got to get wisdom and I'll give you wisdom through other people. I'll give you wisdom. Proverbs 12 verse 15 Fools think their, their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. I love that. My grandma, she always, she's a, uh, from Louisiana. She's a little Cajun. She always had some kind of little one-liner, something she was always throwing out there. And I remember one day she was telling me, she goes, don't laugh at anybody. Don't ever laugh at anybody because you might end up just like them. Ever since then, I've been laughing at Bill Gates. You need, to, you, need to, you need to talk to others about your decisions and not just anybody, not just anybody. You need to talk to people who have made similar decisions. You know, we're, we're starting this church. We're building a church. And I look at Pastor Dwayne, I'm like, okay, well, you built an amazing church, amazing people, amazing buildings, amazing what you've done. So I, I, I want to, if I'm making decisions, I want to talk to someone like that who's got some wisdom. He's been doing this for a few years. Find people who've made the decision you're about to make and, and, and made it well. Proverbs 20, um, verse 18. Plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. Getting counsel can save you from a lot of disasters. Oh my goodness, there's so much good stuff here. Proverbs 15, 22. Let me give you just a couple of these scriptures. Write these down. Uh, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors brings uh, success. Proverbs 24, verse five. It's better to be wise than strong. Intelligence outranks muscle any day. That's why I read and don't go to the gym. <laughs> Strategic planning is the key to warfare. To win, you need a lot of good counsel. A lot of times the reason we don't ask for advice is because we don't want to admit we don't know. But I've discovered this over and over again. I've been around some very remarkable people. And, uh, and, and mostly, usually remarkable people don't think of themselves as remarkable. 
I've noticed that. Uh, it's usually the small thinkers that are hung up on themselves. So ask, ask, for, uh, ask for advice. And you may have mentors in different areas of life too. I, my, my financial mentor is, is not really good with children. So I'm going to ask his, his financial advice, but I'm not going to ask him how to raise my son. Right. And, and so you got different kinds of, uh, of relationships. Someone may be a good spiritual mentor, but not a good relationship mentor. I, my son asked me the other day, he said, dad, dad, how much does it cost to get married? I said, I don't know, son, I'm, I'm still paying for it. This guy goes to see his, his pastor. He says, Pastor, something terrible is happening. I want, I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you about it. The, the pastor said, okay, what's wrong? The man said, my wife, I think she's poisoning me. The pastor said, that's not, that, that, no, there's, there's no way. How, how, how could that be? The guy said, I'm telling you, Pastor, I, I, I think I'm certain she's poisoning me. What do you think I should do? Pastor said, okay, here's, let me tell you what. Let me talk to her. Let me talk to her for a minute. I'm going to see uh, what I can find out. And then I'm going to let you know. Guy said, oh, thank you so much. About a week later, the pastor came. He said, listen, I spoke to your wife. I talked to her for about three hours. He said, you want to know my advice? Take the poison. Okay. Okay. So number six, number six. After you, after you, what do you do after you've received counsel? After you've received counsel, you got to, um, you got to get up and go. You got to get up and do something. The sixth principle is you got to get up. Quick, quick glimpse. One of our heroes of faith in the Bible, Abraham, right? Not always the, the kind of person you'd want to, to imitate. I mean, we see glimpses all throughout his life of, of uh, moral weakness and, and, and coward cowardice, you know, in, in his life. I mean, he was with Sarah. They ran into Pharaoh. Remember, he lied and said, that's, that's not my wife. That's my, uh, that's my sister. And uh, he got, he was scared. He had a little cowardness. And he, and so he, he lied. Thankfully, God intervened and made a way of escape for her. And then years later, again, same thing happens, almost a similar situation with Abimelech, Abraham and Sarah. He lies about his relationship and, and in order to protect himself. And once again, God intervened and restored uh, Sarah safely back to Abraham. Now, Abraham is one of the wealthiest people in the Bible. And obviously, I think that must have been the only reason she stayed with him. After doing that to her twice, you know, I heard about this lady in her 90s who had become kind of a, a local um, celebrity because she had just recently gotten married in her in her 90s. And so the, the, the local news station wanted to do a little interview with her to kind of find out why she why she would do this, why she'd become a newlywed in her in her 90s. And she said, she's, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a newlywed, but this isn't my first husband. I've been married before. They said, oh, okay. Uh, and, and, uh, but, um, all of them were so different. She said, oh, really? How many husbands have you, have you had? And, and they said, well, uh, this one I just married is my fourth husband. So, wow. Fourth husband. She said, yeah, in, in my twenties, I was married to a banker. And, and then in my, in my forties, uh, I was married for a little while to a circus performer. In my 60s, I got married to a preacher. And uh, my current husband, he's a, he's a funeral director. <laughs> the interviewer kind of laughs. So that's kind of a 
wild background, a wild different uh, uh, group of guys, personalities. They said, it makes total sense to me why, why it all worked out. She said, really? He said, yeah, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and the fourth to go. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Abraham perfect example of, of human frailty and sinfulness. So Abraham, uh, also a perfect example of trust and obedience. Abraham believed God and demonstrated his faith through his actions. When God said, okay, take your son, you've been believing for a hundred years, right? And I want you to go up and sacrifice him. I want you to get up and go. And could you imagine that night before he's getting everything packed up thinking, what in the world am I doing? See, God's not looking for perfection. God's looking for a level of faith um, in Abraham, you see, that would compel Abraham to, to trust God no matter what and to trust him in spite of all the reasons not to trust him. And Abraham was commanded to do something that was, that was very difficult. But Abraham made the decision to take action. So in the process, now you've got to get up and do something. I had a friend who, who he was great at analyzing. He was great at, at making the, getting all the way to the decision. But when it was time to actually implement it, he would get stuck. He'd get stuck. I know a lot of people, they, that's, that's what leadership's really about is making decisions and then doing something with the decision. And Abraham chose to obey. And what did Abraham do with all these unanswered questions? And we'll have some unanswered questions sometimes. He still submitted his will to the will of God. And he did the hard thing that God had commanded him to do. Get up and go. And then the final thing, final thing. I'm out of, I'm out of time. Number seven. Oh my goodness, there's so much more good stuff on that. Number seven, wait on God. Number seven, wait on God. God. Now the key word there would be maybe to add patiently, patiently. How many have ever had to wait on God? You've done all your parts and now it's time to, to wait. All you have, all, all, all of us have to wait. It's not really an option. It's kind of a part of life. The only choice you really have in this whole waiting part is how we choose to wait, right? You can wait impatiently with anxiety, or you can wait patiently on the Lord. So you've got a, a, a choice. I've, I've saved this principle for last because the principle of waiting on God is absolutely the most important principle in the decision-making process. Because there is a part of human nature that wants to take control and, and just do it all. Wants to take control and, and just, and just get it done. And there's this part of human nature that wants to work out all the, the details. But the Bible says, Psalms 37 verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently on Him. Psalms 37 verse 7, quiet down before God. Be prayerful before Him. Don't bother with those who climb the ladder, who elbow their way to the top. Perhaps God has been quiet in your life. Maybe it's been quiet for a, a while. Maybe you've, you've prayed and maybe you haven't seen an answer. You've worked and you haven't seen the results that you were hoping to see. You've done everything that you knew to pursue the things of, uh, of the spirit 
and, and the things that God's placed within your heart and you've done this, now you're just, nothing's happening. But then if, you, if, if that's you, maybe you could think about some people like Moses. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace and other 40 years as a shepherd before he was ready to lead God's people. What about Joseph? Joseph endured 13 years of slavery before he saw his dream come true. Noah and his sons worked on the ark for a hundred years before they saw a single drop of rain. Abraham waited 25 years for the arrival of his son. David was anointed king over a decade before he took the throne. Waiting patiently builds character, brings divine protection and blessing. Impatience brings destruction. How many have ever had to wait? How many feel like you're kind of in that process right now, that waiting process, something you've been asking for? And, and over and over we can look and see at these people. What are you doing during the waiting time? What's God birthing in your life during this time? What's he preparing you for? What's he teaching you through the season when you just have to wait? God, I've, I've listened. I've heard your heart. I know what it says in the, in the word. I've, 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 uh, I've counted the cost. I've, I've proved all things. I've, 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 um, I've seeked counsel. I've, I've taken action. Now, I feel like this whole process of making decisions and I, I'm asking you for answers and now I'm just waiting. You followed the principles. But now... It's in God's hand, right? You, all you have to do is the difficult. God does the impossible. Are you willing to put it in his hands? Are you willing to, to, to wait? And, 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 and if, if, it's, if it's you, it, it, well, how about waiting patiently? How many have ever, in, how many have waited impatiently before, right? Come on, God. I've been waiting on this a long time. Come on, God. Wait. That waiting process is the most important process. The waiting is the most important time in the process. So God, what do you want to do next? I'm waiting on you. So a song we used to sing, waiting on you, waiting on you, patiently waiting on you. I'm not worried about the time. I've got to wait for God to do his part in the process. Father, I thank you tonight for um, some, some simple principles for decision-making as believers that are all right there in your word. And Lord, there's many hands that were lifted tonight, many that are watching online that are in that process. And Lord, there's many that, that have gone through these principles tonight and maybe they're not in the, the maybe they're somewhere in the middle of this process. And there will come the time when they're waiting, waiting on you to do your part. Father, I ask for your patience. We've seeked wisdom. We've got your wisdom. We've, we, we, we got your word. We've seeked counsel. And now God help us in the process to wait patiently. 
If that's you, again, let me see your hand. If, that, if that's you, this is speaking to your heart tonight. Let me see your hand real quick. I want to just pray with you. I just want to disagree with you. Many hands, many hands all across the room. Many that are on online right now. Father, in the process, Lord, we ask you to help us make right decisions. And Lord, as we use the wisdom of sound decision-making from your word, Lord, I thank you that you will move on our behalf. But in that process, you would help us in the waiting to stay patient, to lean on you. Holy Spirit, we ask you. We lean into you. Whether it's two days or two years, I got things I've been waiting patiently for 14, 15 years. May not happen in our time, but Lord, help us to keep our trust and confidence, our faith in you. Maybe you've got family members that you've been praying for. Believing for. Help us, Father, to stay strong in the waiting. To be patient in the waiting. Lord, we thank you that you get involved in the process. You work together, all things together for our good. Father, I thank you tonight that uh, maybe those that are someone watching online, maybe someone that's in the room tonight, we never want to close without giving people an opportunity to make sure that their heart and their life is right with God most important in the process, the very first principle in the process is listening to your heart, that your will, our will would line up with, with your will. And, and Lord, there may be someone here tonight that's never made the decision to put their life in your hands, to, to put you first in their, in their life. We never want to close that, giving people an opportunity to make sure that their heart and their life is right with God. Life goes better when you put God first. When you get him involved in your life, I promise you, you'll find it, it goes so much better. If you joined us online tonight or you're in this room and you say, Dave, you know what? I've never made that decision to put God first place in my life. I've never made the decision to receive that gift, his son, Jesus. But I'm ready to do that tonight. I realize something's missing tonight. I'm, you talk about decisions. I'm ready to make the best decision I've ever made. I promise you, I can tell you. And a lot of people in this room could tell you it's the best decision you'll ever make. The decision to put God first, to receive that free gift, his son Jesus, into your heart. Maybe at some point you, you ask him into your heart or into your life, but You've allowed some other things to come before God. He's not first place in your life right now. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship or a, a job or, or something you've allowed to come before God and you, and you realize that and you say, you know what, I'm ready to put God back where he belongs. I'm ready to rededicate my life back to him, put God first place. Whether you're online or whether you're in this room, when I count to three, I want you just to lift your hand real quick. Say, when you pray that prayer, pray for me. If you're online, you could type the word yes or you could put up a little hand emoji so we know that it's you. And we just want to agree with you and pray with you and celebrate with you on making the best decision of your life. If there's anyone in the room, anybody online tonight? One, two, 
three. Let me see your hand real quick. Let me pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Those of you that may be watching online, God bless you. They're saying yes to Jesus. Father, you said, uh, Lord, that uh, if we would believe in our heart and say with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, we'd be saved. It's that simple to believe in our heart. You never condemn us, but you do convict us. And you show us areas of our heart, things in our life that, that may not be pleasing to you. But Father, if we give it to you, you said you'd remove it as far as the east is from the west. We can't even imagine how far that is. You're going to be turning the page to a brand new chapter. Jesus Christ. Just declaring that. I want everyone to say those words with me. Whether you're here, whether you're watching, just say these words with me. Say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. A decision that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. No better decision you can make than the decision to put God first place in your life. Can we put our hands together for those who made that decision tonight to put God first place? Best decision you'll ever make. I hope you got something out of this. How many got at least one thing that helped you tonight? And, and you could put these, man, I could put that to practice in making decisions because I believe God wants us to make better decisions because he really wants the rest of our life to be the best of our life. Say that with me one time. Say the rest of my life. Come on, like you believe it. Say the rest of my life will be the best of my life. Amen. God bless you guys. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.